The Old Testament lesson for today is from Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. This can be found on page 212 of your Pew Bible. Today's scripture begins with the Lord instructing Joshua to cross over the Jordan River to the land he has promised to the Israelites. God then miraculously holds back the waters, allowing them to cross to the other side. A reading from Joshua, chapter 3, beginning with the seventh verse. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people... And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Last week, my family had the opportunity to go see the Grand Canyon. This is our first visit to the Grand Canyon. We took this picture just a few days ago. And even with the picture in words, it cannot describe the awesomeness of the Grand Canyon. Those of you who have been there before, you know. It's astounding. It's astonishing. It's so deep and so wide. And we were all just blown away standing there on the edge. And we were talking about and thinking about a number of things while we were, were there. One of the things we wondered was, what was it like for those settlers heading west when they encountered the Grand Canyon? Can you imagine trying to get your family to San Francisco in a covered wagon and then coming across the Grand Canyon? You'd, you'd be thinking, there's no way around this. As far as you can see, you can't get over it. You look to the left and to the right. You can't go around it. Some kind of miracle would be necessary to get across this barrier. In today's scripture, we see the people of God trying to settle in the promised land, 
And they too come across a barrier that for all intents and purposes was impassable for them. They too needed some kind of miracle, some kind of deliverance to get to the promised land. What we're going to discover as we look at this scripture today is that our story is the same as their story. So let's look into the scripture to find out. Starting with verse 8, Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. God is giving command to Joshua. And as for you, God says, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So we've come to the Jordan River. I have to show you this wilderness map one more time. (laughs) Seems like a long sermon series to us. It was 40 years for the people of God. You may recall that they left the nation of Egypt where they were captive, they were slaves, and God has brought them all the way in these 40 long years, all the way through the wilderness. The entire generation of people that was alive when they left Egypt has died, and they've had children, and it's the next generation of people now trying to enter the promised land. You may recall that when they left Egypt, their first obstacle that they met was the Red Sea, and there was no way through it. They had Pharaoh's army coming hot on their heels and the Red Sea before them, yet God made a way through the waters. And God's going to do the very same thing once again now as they're trying to finally enter the promised land after all these years. There's yet another obstacle and yet another opportunity for God to communicate to his people, only by my deliverance can you get to the promised land. One more opportunity before they leave the wilderness, before they get to the promised land. God says, only with me is this possible. I'm not going to show you a picture of the Jordan River. I wanted to show you that picture of the Grand Canyon to put into your minds this impassable obstacle that was before them. The reason I'm not going to show you a picture of the Jordan River is because it looks a little different now than it did 3,000 years ago. There was a series of dams that were constructed in the northern part of the nation of Israel in the 1950s. So the Jordan River now, it's a flowing river, but it's nothing like what it was when the Israelites came upon it in Joshua chapter 3. Maybe you notice in verse 15 where it says that the banks of the Jordan are overflowing at the time of the harvest. The scripture writer is trying to show us that this is a raging river. And where they crossed, the banks were very steep. So also this entire generation was born in the wilderness. What does that mean? They never had swimming lessons at the Y. They don't know how to swim. Here they come across the Jordan River. They're like, Lord, you told us about the promised land. And yet there's this raging river between us and it, standing still in the Jordan. Look what it says with me at verse 14 to see what God's instructions are. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people... And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap far away. You see this phrase, when their feet were dipped in the brink of the water? That's in verse 15. The Hebrew word under the word dipped is a little more descriptive. It really means fully immersed all the way to the bottom. It's kind of a lot. Fully immersed all the way to the bottom. Perhaps a better translation would have been plunged. 
when the feet of the priests were plunged into the raging waters of the Jordan. Then the water stopped. It's a little bit different than what you might have pictured, right? Where they kind of dipped their toe in the edge, and then the river stopped. No, God says, okay, priests, you carrying the Ark of the Covenant, plunge yourselves into the water, and then I'll stop it. And then the people can go across. It's a little bit different scenario. These priests must have had quite a bit of faith, quite a bit of trust that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And they plunged themselves, not knowing how to swim, into the Jordan River. Now I've heard this story preached and taught and read many, many times over the years. In my upbringing, we were steeped in the Bible stories. I'm 43 years old. I've probably heard the story at least 43 times. And usually what I've heard at this point in the story, when the teacher or preacher seeks to apply the word, it usually goes something like this. What's your Jordan River? What obstacle or barrier or challenge is keeping you from your promised land? What challenge is in your life inhibiting you from your best life now? And do you have enough faith, like those priests, to plunge yourself? And if you do, you will experience breakthrough. That's usually how this story is applied. Now, if I gave you that today as your preacher, if that was the application that I put out before you, well, probably one of two things would happen. Some of you would succeed. You would think of whatever that challenge or that obstacle is in your life, and you would drum up the faith, and you would have breakthrough, and you would realize that you had enough faith, and you would congratulate yourself on having enough faith. Others of you, though, would fail. You would still have that challenge in your life a week from now, And you might think to yourself, I guess I didn't have enough faith. And you would be disappointed in yourself. And in both those scenarios, whether you congratulate yourselves or are disappointed in your own faith, in both of those scenarios, well, let's be honest, it's all about you, isn't it? You would either celebrate or wallow. Now, this may be really hard for some of you to hear, but this story is actually not about you, primarily. No, that would not be a good application of God's word because it would be all about you. So what is this story about then? What's the focus that God wants us to pay attention to? He says it right here. Maybe we missed it. Verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. Why? That they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be With you. Look at God. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God is with us. Joshua fleshes it out a little bit when he describes this to the people in verse 10. Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the other names are hard to pronounce. You see, these are the two points of the story. God is with us. And God will not fail. This story is about God. 
God is with us, and God will not fail. Whether our faith succeeds this week or fails this week is secondary to this primary point. God is with us. Look with me again at verses 11 and 12, and let's watch God. Now, I have to quickly explain. The Ark of the Covenant was, for all intents and purposes, for the people of God, the presence of God in their midst. The Ark of the Covenant. They constructed it about one year after they'd landed in the wilderness. It's made out of acacia wood. They coated it in gold. It would later get the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments placed inside of it. But they believed that this was the presence of God in their midst, was in this box, in the Ark of the Covenant. We know that we have access to the Holy Spirit wherever we go. They didn't yet fully know that. So God is represented here in the story in the Ark of the Covenant. Now let's look at these verses again and let's watch God. Let's watch the Ark of the Covenant. If this story is about God, what's God doing here? Verse 11. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel. Do you see these phrases? God is going across the Jordan first. God before you. Now, therefore, we get to walk across safety into the promised land. Why is this important? Well, I just want to illustrate this. Picture this with me now. Picture how awkward it must have been for those priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to plunge into the river with God on their shoulders. It doesn't seem very logical. If this was up to me, I would have devised a plan to somehow get over the Jordan River, get all the people across, and then bring the Ark of the Covenant across once I knew it was safe. It's a little bit awkward and weird and risky if you think about it. This most important possession that they have, the Ark of the Covenant, it's plunging into the water first. God, in this story, takes on the risk so that the people can go into safety. God takes the risk, the raging waters, the certain death, standing between them and the promised land. God says, I'll go first. I'll take the risk for you. This is important for us to understand. God goes first. God takes all the risk upon himself. Whether the priests had enough faith, whether the people had enough faith is secondary. God had the faith. God took the risk. Now, I just really want to drive this point home. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, but I thought the story was about my faith. Isn't this whole spiritual journey about my faith? Don't take that away from me, maybe you're thinking. Well, look what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I find freedom in this. Even when I fail in my faith, even when I don't have enough faith to have the breakthrough and experience my best life now, God is faithful. God is faithful. That means when I do succeed, I give him the credit and the glory. And when I do fail, I receive his forgiveness and his grace. It's all about him now. Look at God. Maybe you noticed in the season of Lent this year, we changed the words of our benediction. We have new words now. I'm going to recite them for you in just a moment. But this is what we're trying to do with the benediction. It's from Hebrews chapter 12. We're just trying to get our our eyes fixed, not on ourselves, but on our Savior. 
So in the benediction every week, we say, we say this. We say, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love what it says in the NIV. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder or the pioneer of our faith, pioneer and finisher. What this means is that Jesus has gone before us. Just like the Ark of the Covenant was placed into the danger of the raging waters of the Jordan, so our Savior Jesus faced the raging wrath of the Father. And he went to the cross for us. He took on the risk. You see? That's the truth of the gospel. Not that we had to be punished for our own sins, but that he went to the cross to receive the punishment in our place. God before us. We know what our Jordan River is, if we're being honest. Earlier I said in that scenario, the way the scripture is normally taught, what's your Jordan River? What's the challenge in your life? The Bible tells us what our Jordan River is. The Bible tells us what our Grand Canyon is, that great chasm that separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 gives a clear description of what that chasm is. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Our sin is our Jordan River. Our sin is our Grand Canyon. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, has crossed over the chasm from his side to ours. Jesus came from the heavenlies all the way to earth, all the way to death on a cross, to remove that separation between us and God. Thank you, Lord. So how exactly does sin separate us from God? Well, I just want to illustrate it instead of trying to explain it. We went to the Grand Canyon last week, and we spent several days hiking in the beauty of God's creation. And then at the end of our trip, we took a little field day trip to the Las Vegas Strip. (laughs) This was intentional. This was like a field trip for the kids. We were walking along the Las Vegas Strip, two miles down, two miles back, and I was asking the kids questions. All right, kids, how is this hike different? than the hikes we just took out in nature. It was a fascinating conversation with the kids. And there we saw it, sin on full display. Greed, sex, lust, power, full display, all of it. And I just kept thinking, look at how sin separates us from God. We were in the Grand Canyon 24 hours ago, and now we're here. We were in God's presence. Now we feel far from it. And I was walking down the strip and I was thinking, look at all this sin. Look at all these sinners. Look at how separate they are from God. Look at all these sinners. I'm so glad I'm not like that. (laughs) And then I thought, "Uh uh-oh. Everybody walking down the Vegas strip, prostitutes, 
and pastors have a Grand Canyon before them. My sin might look a little different than theirs. You know, in the parable of the prodigal, it's obvious to see how the younger son is separate from the father, right? He runs off. He runs out the back door and throws away the key. He's separated from the father. It's obvious to look at those people on the Vegas Strip. Look how far from God. But the older brother is far from the father as well, standing in his self-righteous judgment of the little brother. I believe that one of the points of that parable is a warning to people like me. Because at the end of that parable, there's only one of the two brothers who's still separated from the father. The older brother is still outside the party. He's not inside at the feast. He's separated from God. So be careful judging other people's sins you too might just have a Grand Canyon between you and your Savior. I speak from experience. But it's really not about our faith, is it? It's about the faithfulness of God. The two points of this story, according to Joshua chapter 3, are that God is with us and God will not fail. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the founder and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, standing in our place, collapsing the barrier between us and the Father by his grace. I don't know what kind of week you'll have, whether you'll succeed or fail in your faith. God is faithful, and God does not fail. Amen.